Welcome to Off Grid. We have solved a crossword and we poked it about a bit and picked our favourite clues. And we've also thought, yeah, but what's really interesting about it? Um, we're going to tell you about that. We'll tell you our favourite clues, but if you're not into crosswords, don't worry, we'll explain how they work. Or, you know, you can just ignore that bit if you like. But if you are interested in having a go at the same one we did, this time it was the Financial Times puzzle from Wednesday the 28th of July 2021, which was puzzle number 16849 by IO. There will be slight spoilers ahead, so if you do want to do that, hit pause and come back to us. A link to the FT's puzzles page will be in the show notes. As always, your hosts are me, Dave. And me, Void. Thank you for tuning in once again. We will also have a short quiz inspired by the puzzle, a sort of general knowledge quiz, if you will. And luckily enough, we have General Knowledge right here with us. Welcome back, General. Hello, good to be back with you, both of you. Nice to see you again. Hey. Or hear you, rather. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listener. So those clues we mentioned, we'll read out our three favourite clues. Now, one each. And if you're not solver, like I said before, don't panic. You know, there's always the skip forward 30 seconds button, but we will explain them later. So, General, what was your favourite clue, please? Yeah, my favourite was um, 11 Down, which went like this. Uh, With priest sliding down steeple, yes, an ensemble of priors. Eight, four. And Dave? Uh, my pick was 23 across, uh, which, if you take the clue at face value, appears to say strike three is from unit, i.e. their release. And that's eight letters. And that disclaimer is intentional. It's certainly a clue that needs looking at written down rather than listening to, but I'll clarify that later. What about your choice? Uh, mine was 19, which was... Punishment handed to Oedipus for patricide and for marrying his mother? Could be. Seven, eight. Nice long one to be going on with. All right, you can ponder those for a bit if you like, and we'll come back to them later, but not until we've heard a little bit more from the general. General, what was your word that made you decide to tell us something about it? <laughs> well, I thought that the answer to 21 across was pretty interesting. So the answer was open mic, and M means mic in the NATO alphabet. And I'm a, a great lover of um, different alphabets around the, around the world that exist, um, from longest to shortest, and and the NATO alphabet, of course. I, I, I'm going to guess most most of our listeners will know the NATO alphabet if you if you told them, and with a little bit of time, could probably come up with uh, with with all of them. I reckon, you know, maybe yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So 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 that that's not necessarily that exciting. It's used an awful lot uh, in the world of setting because, of course, 
they, you can get individual um, individual letters. But as well as that, um, there are other uh, alphabets that I, I I wonder if people might be interested in one or two bits of information. So. Um, as I'm general knowledge, of course, so you, you know I like to come up with all kinds of things. And if you look at your car number plate or motorbike number plate, if you've got one or you've driven around in one, perhaps, um, if you're well-to-do then <laughs> and you have a chauffeur, then you'll notice that it has a, a letter at the beginning. And you may or may not know that that stands for the region where the, where the car or vehicle was was first registered um and some of them are quite quite interesting um m doubles up actually it's manchester or merseyside because they both begin with m some are quite poetic so a g for example that's your number plate it stands for garden of eden which is rather nice um, <laughs> a v is the, the seven valley an F. Hang, hang big... on, hang on. Garden of Eden. Um, yeah, really. Where, where is that? Oh, that's Kent. Me? That's the Kent. Er- Sorry, big pardon. That's the sort of Kent area around there. Yeah. Oh, hang on. Did I mishear you? Did you say Garden of England or Garden of Eden? Oh, I did say that. I mean, I beg your pardon. <laughs> I was like, Garden <laughs> of England. Does that make sense? We know what that means. The Garden of England. I, I, I do. I do apologise. There you go. It's been a long day. <laughs> The Garden of England, Kent, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then uh, if you if you look at, say, well, a K, it doesn't mean Kent at all. That means the Keynes, bit of Milton Keynes, so around Luton, Northampton and so on. An F means the Fens and Forest, area around Nottingham and Lincolnshire and so on. So, oh. so it's quite quite a fun thing to, to investigate. Hmm. I didn't yeah. know that the um, the the first letter or, or pair of letters referred to where the car was registered, but I I thought they were just um, city related, but obviously not. Oh, well, a lot of them are. A lot of them are. So so a B is Birmingham, uh, a C is Cymru, um, and and uh, you've got Reading, Preston, Oxford are, are all uh, represented by by their initial. Letter. So, so that's uh, that's uh, that's one thing I I wanted to talk to you about, uh, and I wonder what how people go about remembering the Morse code. That's a, that's a, that's got a few few fairly easy ones like SOS dot 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 dash 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 dot dot yeah. dot. Um, perhaps people will people will know um, V for victory. That's uh, da 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 da, which they played, didn't they? Uh, Allegedly, um, when a victory was was um, won in the Second World War, um, but but some of them some of them are quite tricky to remember. So if you use, you can make up your own ones of these, but you can make up little mnemonics using stressed and unstressed syllables. Oh, okay. So uh, so for example, um, C is dash dot dash dot. Which lends itself to Coca-Cola, for example. <laughs> yeah, because there's yeah. stressed, unstressed. Um, we're talking about Mike earlier, so so that needs two, just a, a word of two syllables, both of which you stress roughly evenly. So I I use maintain, that that does for me nicely. Um, 
if uh, and that starts each time with the uh, initial letter that you're that yeah, you're yeah. trying to indicate yeah yeah you've got that yeah um so uh, q might seem quite hard dash dash dot dash but if you go queen anne of cleves you can remember <laughs> it yeah um this is brilliant. Bank robbery. You've got to kind of say that in a particular way. Bank robbery. There's been a bank robbery. Um, so that's so dash that dot you... dot dot. Yay! But splendid. <laughs> um, uh, if I was to say uh, youth and old age, for why? Nice. So it's uh, youth yeah. and old age. Dash dot dash dash dash, dash. dash dot. It, you, Dave, Dave's got it absolutely. Dash dot dash dash. You keep on doing them all the way through, like that. It's it's a little bit difficult when you've got things like um, uh, four dots for H, so you have to sort of go you know, hubble bubble like that. And just just do, do do four dots. Um, One that but, popped into you, my mind immediately for that was ha ha ha. <laughs> yeah, that, that that works. Yeah, that works. Yeah, um, polite people. Polite people. Got that? Dash dot dash no, dot, dot polite dot dash dot dot. Ah, no, it's, uh, well, you have to say people it's on the end. Polite people. Oh, dot dash dot, dash, dash dot. dot dot. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> oh, dot dear dash me. dash dot. It's it's uh, you can have. It. Endless fun making them up for yourself. So I'm not going to tell you any more at all. <laughs> Never again, indeed. That's two of them. <laughs> Just as a moment's thing back to the NATO alphabet, I was reading something about that just yesterday or the day before. Apparently the alpha in the, obviously alpha for A, is supposed to be spelled A-L-F-A and not A-L-P-H-A. So that it is less ambiguous in terms of pronunciation. Does that yeah, sound familiar? Yeah, I read that the other day as well. We yeah, must have read the same tweet. I suspect very possibly. Oh, it could well have been Agatha Hawks, mightn't it? Yes, who knows? <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, and Juliet ends in a double T. In as a double well. T, so that the French know to pronounce it rather than leaving it. Yes. Did you have any other alphabet facts you wanted to spring on us? Oh, I've got loads, but I mean, you know, you can you can edit them all out. So that's go fine. on, give, give <laughs> us one more, give us a bit more. Well, I I rather like words. I'm very fond of words um, which are in alphabetical order within themselves. So, if you were to take a word like uh, chintz, for example, C H I N T Z. It's in alphabetical order, of course. But that, that's also true for biopsy. Oh. Uh, what else have we got? Um, 40, ghost, chimps, <laughs> below. See, there was a round on University Challenge this week on this very subject. And now I suddenly can't remember what any of the answers were. <laughs> <laughs> I've certainly read a book that had a list of those those kind of words in it as well, and but you kind of long enough ago that they're not back in not in my head anymore. Mm. <laughs> I, I can remember two which are not exactly the same thing, but they're words which contain all the vowels in the correct order. 
So yes. Oh, yes. Abstemious, uh, abstemious and facetious. And facetious. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Very good. I love those words. Yes. Then, then uh, here's another another little. This is one that that uh, some people will, will be familiar with. Um, the A for horses. Do you know the the um, yes. alphabet A oh, for yes. horses? B yeah. for mutton. Yeah, yeah. B for that's the one. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Emphasis. So that's <laughs> yes. our, our, our it, mic has cropped up again. Yeah, so, I think I've heard it called are... the Cockney alphabet. Is that right? <laughs> okay, okay. Very yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, C for miles, depletion. That's it. Uh, <laughs> e for brick. Yeah, O for the wings of a dove. For the wings of a dove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, W for quits, and all, and all the rest of them. Mm. They're they're fantastic as well. So, yeah, oh, yeah alphabets uh, provide a lot of fun. Dave, do you want to tell us how your clue works now? Yes, I'll clarify that disclaimer I made earlier on. Uh, if you remember. Reading it, it's appeared to say, strike three is from unit, i.e. their release. And we were looking for an eight-letter answer. Um, well, release seemed like a fairly good bet for the definition part in that. And after getting a few crossing letters in, it looked likely to be untether. This is one of these clues where you kind of back solve it from a guess at the answer rather than rather than uh, parsing all the bits of the wordplay in advance. So you then Which is kind a perfectly of... reasonable way of solving a clue. Absolutely. I think most puzzles, probably half of the answers are solved that way, I think. Uh, and the penny drop moment comes from staring at the clue and your potential answer and realising that the words you've quite reasonably been reading as is... Is actually eyes, that is to say, the plural of the letter I. And therefore, if you strike three eyes from the phrase unit, i.e., there, then what's left is unt, et, the, which makes untether, which is very sneaky and quite an unusual construction. Um, so it's a kind of like, aha, when you spot it. Yeah, I agreed. Excellently sneaky. Yes, I think that's uh, enough of that to be going on with. So, Void, what caught your eye in the grid? I like to look of not an answer to one of the clues, but a word in one of the clues. And Seven Down contained the word documents. And I was reminded of... The Paston letters. Have either of you heard of the Pastons or the Paston letters? Tell us about them. I must say I haven't. Okay, well, I think I first heard about these by uh, the historian Helen Castor on Radio 4, or I think it was on Making History. And the Pastons were a Norfolk gentry family from the Middle Ages through to the Tudor period and onwards. Okay. And we have a collection of their letters, which, which still exist, all through that time, which the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography has referred to as the richest source there is for every aspect of the lives of gentlemen and gentlewomen of the English Middle Ages. And I think the key word there is gentlewomen, because the women of the family were also educated and literate, which means these letters 
are from various different members of the family, the men and the women, to each other. And there's lots of detail of uh, ordinary family life and of the language of the time. So these letters are viewed as a lovely treasure trove by historians and linguists. And indeed, it contained, the collection contains one of the earliest known Valentine cards from okay. 1477. Oh, very My nice. right well-beloved Valentine starts, uh, starts Marjorie her letter off. Uh, be your Valentine, she signs it off with, because uh, spelling was quite variable at the time, and indeed, even within a letter, it seems. <laughs> yeah, there's also a website called Paston Footprints, which I've been looking at and, and reading about. Now, the, the, the first notable member of the family was uh, William Paston and, uh, and his son, John. And they were involved in local politics and, and the law, and uh, they got involved in the, the Hundred Years' War, I believe. Um, and you might say that all three of those things are the same thing at the time, possibly. But I would like you to have a guess at the names of John's two eldest sons. One wonders why we might be expected to have an idea is there's is uh, yeah I'll... yeah okay that's a good starting point so uh, what what have i told you so far I, i've told you about william and i've told you about his son john now what are john's two eldest sons called william and john well it, it's now, kind of tempting to assume that isn't it so but those are excellent guesses. There's, there's no reason at all not to guess those names with the information you have. And one, and his eldest son was called John. Now, he did have a, a younger son called William, but his second eldest son was also called John. <laughs> <laughs> because I think it's well known that there was a shortage of four names in the Middle Ages. Um, <laughs> there were only four names in the Middle Ages. Yeah, I, th I think I've read something like 80% of men were called John, William, Edward or John. No, hang on, I've said John twice, <laughs> which, well, which only so, goes to so emphasize many... the point. Well, that, that's the case in Bali, where there are just four names. If you have a fifth child, you call it Wayang again, which means that's the name for the first child. It's also the name for the fifth child. And uh, the sixth child would be Naomi, like the second child is called. Um, oh no, I beg your pardon. That um, uh, that would be the third. The third child <laughs> was is Naomi. So when Indonesia, of course, Bali's part of Indonesia, when Indonesia had a birth control policy, uh, the posters they put up in Bali was no more Naomi's. <laughs> what, what they were all supposed to do i don't know <laughs> if you were called naomi but, yeah. so was, was naomi a unisex name that, yeah 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 it's all it's all unisex right, so okay. naomi boy naomi girl i suppose but um yeah yeah a bit bad given my name's general knowledge but i've forgotten what the number twos were called actually perhaps write in folks tell us what child number two is called in indonesia <laughs> Uh, Robert, I think, was the other name I was. Uh, All right, was so John William Edward Robert, right? Yeah, um, 
And uh, I did notice in the Paston family tree that there was a mm. Robert Paston. And I just wondered if he was the person who kept the local community up to date with all the uh, latest news uh, and politics. Uh, uh, <laughs> very good. <laughs> the other interesting fact I picked up which I wanted to share about the Pastons. It's not really about the Pastons. It's about how come we still have this collection of letters. And at the time, apparently it was very common for everyone to keep any letter they received uh, because they could might possibly be used as uh, evidence in any legal claims you had against your neighbour. He wrote to me and said he'd fix that fence and he hasn't done so, that sort of thing. Right. And one of the Paston's neighbours and uh, relatives, his estate had, had collected a load of these letters, apparently, and they, they survived altogether. Uh, so a lot of them came via him. Now, his name might ring a sort of a bell because his name was Sir John Fastolf. Oh, like Falstaff. Mm. Yeah, and it is thought that uh, Shakespeare took his name and jimmied it around a bit to come up with the name of his uh, arch roué, John Falstaff. (laughs) Apparently he was a a, a knight who did some fighting in the Hundred Years' War as well. Um, But there's no suggestion that he was as uh, dissolute and corrupt as the Shakespeare character. (laughs) At least no yeah. provable suggestion. Who knows? Yeah. He was in Henry the Fourth, Henry the Fifth, and the Merry Wives. M- Merry, Merry Wives. When Elizabeth the First saw um, Henry the the Fourth, she liked the character of, of Falstaff so much she requested that Shakespeare should write um, a play showing Falstaff in love, and that was the birth of Merry Wives of Windsor. And when the Queen requests you do something, yeah, yeah. you do something. Bring him yeah. back. I wish to see more of this fellow. <laughs> General, would you like to read out your favourite clue again and then give us the rundown of how it works? Yeah, sure. My favourite was uh, 11 Down. With priest sliding down steeple, yes, an ensemble of priors. And that is an eight-letter word followed by a four-letter word. And for this one, it's kind of a hidden. So one of the most common forms of of clue is a hidden where the entire um, answer is written there in front of you. It's right in front of your eyes, but you don't necessarily uh, see it because it's so well hidden amongst the surrounding letters. Uh, and in this, this is like that, but with a slight twist. So um, the the crucial bit that's hidden is steeple, yes, an, but you're also given an additional instruction in the clue, which is that the priest needs to slide down. So this is a down clue, and the abbreviation for priest is P. It can be PR, but in this case it's a P, and that P slides down. In other words, it moves from in the middle of steeple to in between the S at the end of yes, and the an, and that gives you span at the end. Rather, so now instead of steeple, yes, an, you get 
Stelae Span, which is an ensemble of priors, and it's referring to Maddie Pryor, who was the lead singer with Stelae Span, famous uh, for All Around My Hat and Gaudete. So I like that, and it reminded me, yeah, of uh, of, of a band that. Um, a folk band, folk rock band that I, that I used to like back in the 70s. So there you go. Yeah, you just named the two Steel Ice Band songs that I could have named if forced. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think possibly uh, same here. Yeah, I, I did like the clue um, and the linking of priest and prior to lead you towards uh, uh, some sort of ecclesiastical answer. But of course, it was nothing to do with that. And indeed, yes, steeple, really. steeple as well. So oh, the yes, whole yes the, whole, felt... the whole surface was ecclesiastical, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go on then, Dave. Right. What's interesting? Well, what's interesting? What jumped out at me was um, the answer eight down, which was svelte. Now, briefly, it's a word whose etymology traces back ultimately to the Latin exvelere, to pluck out. Presumably the idea being that plucking out hair or feathers makes the physique more slender or elegant, perhaps. I don't know. But um, it struck me that that SV, you know, we were talking about alphabets and, and the spellings of, of words and things. It's quite an unusual start for a word in English. There can't be all that many other words that begin with SV. So I had a bit of a look round. There are two or three other words, but most of them are pretty obscure. Uh, there's the Svedberg unit, which is a <laughs> unit of time equal to 10 to the minus 13 seconds. So not uh, That very sounds long. a lot like it's named after a person. Is that right? It, it does. It's named after a, um, a Swedish, unsurprisingly, chemist called Tom, uh, Theodor Svedberg. I'm um, very disappointed that his first name isn't Sven. Sven Svedberg, the Swede. Um, no, no. Well, it is um, a chemist, and it's it's a unit for measuring the sedimentation rate of particles when centrifuged. I think we're all much better informed for knowing that. Um, there's there's svarabakti, which is a Sanskrit word, which apparently refers to what the dictionary calls a parasitic vowel inserted between two consonants. If you're trying to get your head around what that means, I was looking for a nice, easy-to-understand example, and the one I encountered was... England! <laughs> I right. was listening... I was watching a little bit of the Olympics just earlier on today, and uh, what... One of the commentators was referring to some of the athletes. Ah, that's <laughs> another example of that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And ch- children go through a phase before they can say the word sphere. They invariably say sphere for a, a little sort of spell in the yeah. in their, in their yeah. education. Don't know like Sophia Loren, yes, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes. But she was an all-round actress. Away. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, apart from Svelte, I think the only other SV word that most people would be familiar with is probably Svengali. Ah, mm. now that's another what, person. It is another person. What do you know about? What can you bring up from your brains about Svengali? 
I know it's a. The, we, we we use it for anyone who has a um, an overweening, overbearing influence on some protege or other who who is caught up in their spell. Yep. Um, yes. But he, and he, he, he Victorian times. Well, or Edward. Yeah, I think it's it's late Victorian, possibly Edwardian. Um, but I think Spengali had a hold and an influence over Trilby. Oh, he's 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 got it. He's got it. I'll tell you what yeah. it is. Is it's is it's a novel by George Du Maurier. Um, so you're trying to estimate the times. It's uh, it's 1894. Um, yeah. George is the father of the actor manager Gerald Du Maurier and the grandfather of Daphne, Daphne Du Maurier. Yes, that's right. Um, uh, and George trained as a painter in France, uh, and then he came to England, and he became a cartoonist and a writer for Punch magazine. It was one of his cartoons that gave us the phrase "curate's egg." Oh yeah. Um, oh yes, the, yes, famous. Yes, the, good in parts. The, yes, uh, I'm afraid you've got a bad egg, Mister Jones. Oh no, my lord, I assure you, parts of it are excellent. Yes, uh, it's possible that he cribbed that from somebody else's cartoon in a smaller publication, but it's his version that's kind of become remembered. But um, when his eyesight deteriorated and he had to kind of stop or or reduce the amount of drawing that he did, he kind of stepped up his writing instead and he started uh, writing novels. Uh, He was actually a friend of Henry James. I think his first novel was moderately successful, but it was his second one was a gothic horror about a cheerful but tone-deaf artist's model who falls under the influence of a manipulative musician who trains her using mesmerism to become a great singer. Yes. So this is what you're recollecting there. So his name is Svengali, which, as you say, gives us the uh, generic term now for anyone who kind of exercises a, a, a controlling but possibly malign influence over somebody else. And her name is Trilby O'Farrell, um, which, due to the fact that an actress playing her in an early stage production of the story wore a narrow-brimmed felt hat, and everybody kind of liked the look of it and it took off, it became known as a Trilby hat, and that's where we get the name of the Trilby from. It's pretty good going for one one work of fiction to donate two words into the english language isn't it it's it's not just two words there is a there is, well Ooh. um as a phrase as well so du Maurier's book was called trilby it's been adapted for stage or film several times but it's usually retitled to svengali perhaps because the name is more familiar or more evocative or whatever but it was also kind of partly the inspiration for gaston larue's phantom of the opera which was 1910, so that was sort of 15, 16 years later. But it's also the origin of the phrase the altogether to refer to <laughs> nakedness. Um, if you remember, Tr- Trilby was an artist's model, and she uses the phrase to talk about um, posing for a full-length nude painting. Um, and that phrase took off uh, to the altogether, someone being in in the altogether to, uh, <laughs> to mean... Um, Full length nude and all that. Oh, kind of brilliant! Stuff. I've not heard that one before. Yeah, yeah. excellent. Yes, so yes, and a, a nice, nice euphemism to appease the Victorian sensibilities. Yeah, yeah. So there's all sorts of bits of stuff from George Du Maurier. 
moving on from one famous flawed character in fiction to another, what was that Oedipus clue about, Void? Yes, uh, my favourite clue was 19 across. Punishment handed to Oedipus for patricide and for marrying his mother could be 7-8. This is uh, one of those clues where the whole clue is giving you the, uh, the the definition and the wordplay. And the could be at the end is referring back to the sentence before it. And so you're looking for something that the previous sentence could be. And we need to look at the, the grammar of the sentence. Punishment handed to Oedipus for patricide. Now you could stop there and it would be a perfectly good sentence. But the sentence carries on with and for marrying his mother. And when you've got a sentence that has a section of it that could theoretically be discarded, that is grammatically called a complex sentence. And indeed, that is the answer to the clue. And not only are we talking grammatically, but we're talking a little flight of fancy about the Oedipus getting a complex for killing his father and marrying his mother. And, you know, wouldn't you? So I thought that was a lovely clue, Um, you know, working on two levels simultaneously all the way through. Yes, nice idea. Yeah, and and I suppose his his sentence was self-inflicted because he put out his own eyes, didn't he? Yep. Auto-enucleation. (laughs) And for another call-out, if we're putting out one's eyes, that will take you back to my untether clue, won't it? They were putting the eyes out of that. (laughs) Oh my gosh, is there a hidden theme we haven't spotted in this puzzle? (laughs) (laughs) Pretty horrible one, if there is. Yeah, there's there's a Tom Lehrer song about Oedipus, uh, which is worth looking up and having a laugh at if one's not familiar with it. On on the subject of Oedipus, I would like to recommend Natalie Haynes's novel, The Children of Jocasta, which is a retelling of the Oedipus myth from the perspective of Antigone and Ismene, two of the daughters of Jocasta. Um, uh, and yeah, it's really good. Uh, I think she's an excellent author. Go check it out. I'll put a link in the blog entry. This is probably now time for the general knowledge quiz. So, uh, yeah, general, back to you. Well, gentlemen, Void, Dave, um, I've got three questions for you. Um, And uh, the first one I want to give you um, relates to your favourite clue, Void. So that's a a nice link. Um, But not not Oedipus this time. As we know... um, Oedipus was very fond of his mother. But what's the complex that, again, it's an eponymous one, what's the, what's the complex for a girl who's um, particularly fond of her father and to such an extent that she might rival her, her mother um, for his affections? Um, if you're unduly fond of your father that's that's known as a, a, a complex for girls so, but but it's named similarly after a uh, a, a greek 
a literary um, figure, but but um, uh, actually she appears in a in a play. She's the the name of a play by uh, by Sophocles. If that's the, probably won't help you, but uh, but it might do. Um, what sort of complex is it, gentlemen? Well, I don't want to get all Oresteia than thou about it, but I think I might know the answer. Oh, bravo, Void. Yeah. Um, I would have got there via Aeschylus. Um, and this is uh, an Electra complex. Yay! And bravo. Electra was the daughter of Agamemnon and Clytemnestra and the brother of Orestes. And See, he knows his Greek myths and stuff. Well, I mean, I, I, I think I could have brought up uh, Electra as well, but uh, I, I wouldn't have been able to give you all the links of the families between them. Yeah, and uh, and so uh, and and with um, uh, Aegisthus, um, Clytemnestra, uh, they plotted together, uh, and and they they murdered Agamemnon, and. Um, of course, Electra was was so incensed by by this, along with her brother. She, they they, they then uh, plotted to uh, to kill Electra. So that's that's why she to kill Clytemnestra. To to so big one to go to, to to kill Electra to kill um, Clytemnestra. That's so that's why she, the story lends itself to the complex in the same way that um, you know. Um, so that's that's your first. well done, bravo, good good marks for for that full marks. I just um, want to say Agamemnon had it coming, you know. He, <laughs> he he murdered his own daughter to get a bit of wind for his ships. So you know, no sympathy, no sympathy, <laughs> no, no sympathy, no sympathy at all. Uh, I referred earlier on to my first one in when I solved uh, the, the EO puzzle was five across Zloty, um, or Zlotties rather, which is the, the plural, of course. Um, but if you converted your Zlotties, gentlemen, into ringgits, what would you do with them? Or where, rather, where might you use them? I know we'd be going into a different continent. Is, the, is correct. I think it's more Asian, isn't it? It is Asian. Yeah. yeah. It's Southeast Asia. It is Southeast Asia. You'd probably get about 1.1 ringgit for every zloty. I know you wanted to know that. It's the Thai baht, so it's not Thailand. It's the. Excellent. It's, 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 next, it, it's it is next a door, isn't it? It it's, is a neighbour. It's a neighbour. <laughs> Yeah. Spot on spot on Dave. Malaysia is the correct answer. The yeah, that very good, very good. Thai Bart and the Malaysian ringgit. So so uh, uh two out of two. Um that was quite a quite a quick one. I have a third question for you which relates to uh one down. Kids reaction to time for bed. Signal Zebedee's arrived to take over. So the answer to that one was booing. Time for for bed, of course, was the famous catchphrase uh, of Zebedee in the Magic Roundabout. Um, and you, you might remember that if you're of the generation to listen to Nigel Planer in 1992, 
who used to narrate the the, um, the originally French um, program. But um, back from 1965 to 1977, um, it was narrated by somebody quite all the different parts, Brian and Dylan and Florence, all the parts were narrated by um, an English actor. And what I'd like to know is his name and also the name of um, his very famous daughter. I don't expect you to know his slightly less famous other daughter, but um, could you know, could you name for me the father and we're on to fathers and daughters again, aren't we? The father <laughs> and and daughter um, pair, please. I think oh. I think I know this. I think the daughter is. Uh, we had uh, we talked about uh, going back to your can episode, um, when I was talking about Oscar winners and and uh, and Palm Door winners and things like that. I think the the daughter is someone who has won Oscars both for acting and writing, which I think yes, is, indeed, adapted best adapted screenplay. Yes, the only person to have done that, I think. Oh, is that so? The best adapted adapted screenplay was for Sense and Sensibility, yeah. Right, and and yeah. as an actress, she won for Howard's End. Are you there, Void? I think I am now. Yes, so it's Emma Thompson. Absolutely, and the father right. is Eric Thompson. I think is absolutely right. Well done, bravo, yeah. bravo. You you wouldn't happen to remember what. Uh, Emma's younger sister is called, would you? Is she Sophie Thompson? Spot on. Bravo. Well done. Yeah, oh, well, there we go. We've got it between us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she, was, um, she, she was in, I think it was Notting Hill. So, um, so th- th- you've got all three questions correct. Well done, gentlemen. I'm, <laughs> v- I'm very impressed. I thought I might fox you with one of them, but you, you, uh, you had the better of me. So, well done. Right, well, thanks for that quiz, General. I think it's about time for wrapping up. Thanks for listening, everybody. You know what I'm going to say next. Uh, Please subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. Like us, rate us, review us, all that malarkey. Links to all the stuff that we've talked about will be in the show notes at offgrid.tlmb.net. We're both contactable via Twitter, where I'm at Skowingle. And I'm at the void TLMB. And you could head over to my blog where, as well as posting puzzles, I also post a video explaining how all the clues work in my previous puzzle. So that might give you an idea of what the hell's going on in these strange things, if you're interested. And that is at tlmb.net slash blog. And General, would you like to recommend anyone to the listener? Well, um... There's a setter of my acquaintance by the name of, of Maze. Um, that's M-A-I-Z-E. And he's cropped up on a few occasions on a, a YouTube channel called Cracking the Cryptic. And Simon Armitage is on there and he's he's done um, three or four of, of Maze's puzzles. So if you wanted to go and look at any of those, then that would give you another way of uh, understanding some of the twists that puzzles can have in in terms of things like 
pangrams and ninas and uh, all those sort of uh, aspects that get mentioned from time to time, I dare say, uh, <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah, indeed. Excellent. We'll check that out. We'll put a link to Cracking the Cryptic and also maybe to one of Maze's puzzles in The Independent in, in, uh, indeed. in our blog. So nice. thank you for that, General. Thank you very much for helping us out. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for having me along. It's been a, it's been a, a, a real pleasure. So thank you. I'll, yeah. I'll be back again, though. Thank <laughs> you very much. We'll be sure to uh, to bring you back. See you all next time. Bye bye. That was Off Grid. If you enjoyed it, please tell a friend. And if you'd like to rate and review us, of course, that would be lovely. We'd really like that. Thank you to IO for the puzzle that we did this episode. And thank you to the Trudy for our theme tune. Thank you also to all of our listeners in Bahrain, the Netherlands, Germany, South Korea, Austria, Belgium, Australia, Ireland, the United States, and the good old United Kingdom. Thank you very much. We will be back in a fortnight. So join us then. Bye-bye.